Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the Tab app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful will then negotiate the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019 it was Handle the Truth and last year It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders will be drawn on September the 9th. The 2020 Melbourne Cup will be remembered as the one conducted in front of an empty house and the one to give Lloyd Williams his seventh success as an owner or part owner. Twilight Payment became the first all-the-way winner since Might and Power in 1997. It was the second Melbourne Cup victory in three years for the young Irish trainer Joseph O'Brien and it gave 25-year-old jockey Jai McNeil an undreamed-of cup win at his first ride in the great race. Young McNeil endeared himself to punters and television viewers around Australia in the wake of the win. His story was made even more appealing when television footage became available of the reaction of his partner Jessica, who was watching at home with the couple's three-month-old son, Oakley. Joy McNeil was an overnight sensation. He's not sure of his exact number of career winners, but says it's between seven and 800, including three Group 1s. He finished third in the 2018-19 Victorian Premiership and won the title the following year in a tense duel with Daniel Stackhouse. Another Victorian Premiership in the current season hasn't been a priority. He had several weeks in Brisbane during the carnival and is currently out of action, having undergone surgery for the removal of a plate from his left leg. The legacy of an accident four years ago. It's a good time to pin Jai down for a lengthy chat and he has very kindly agreed to join the podcast on a Sunday morning. Jai, lovely to have you on board. A great intro. Thank you for having me, John. Uh, Pleasure, mate. You know, despite missing so much time from the Melbourne scene of late, uh, you're still in the top seven or eight on the Metropolitan Ladder with 35 wins and you're in the top six or seven on the Victorian list with 89 winners. You must be pretty pleased with that, all things considered. Certainly. It was a 
a good time that I had up in Brisbane up there for a few weeks and um, obviously that was, that was keeping me off the scene in Melbourne um, and as you touched on it too, I've had that surgery done. So mm. it's um, it's going to put me out of action for the remainder of the season. So in terms of, of numbers, um, it's not bad, but it's still not up there with, with the best um, that I've had and that gave me probably the main motivation to – get this procedure done this year. Um, mm. the, the hardware had been in there for four years, so uh, at, at some stage I was I was really keen to get it out because it was starting to cause a few little issues oh, and mm. I just felt the time was right and um, it was now or never. So we're, uh, we're recovering really well with rehab um, from the operation and focusing on a, a really big season ahead. You suffered that injury in 2016 in a freakish mishap at Bendigo. You were on your way to the barrier on a horse called Preemptive. He must have been feeling pretty good because he suddenly pig-rooted and he just caught you off guard. You think something startled him? I think so. He, uh, it was not long out of the mounting yard and he took, he took fright and then reacted in a way that... Um, he wanted me off, and he was too good for me, Johnny. He caught me off balance, and um, mm. I went down the off side of the horse and got my right leg caught in the brain. That yeah. caused my left leg to take all the impact on the ground mm. um, where I broke my tibia and fibula and mm. dislocated the ankle joint. So at that stage, it was a, a, a really big injury, and um, – Obviously, still having a few troubles with it today, but hopefully, after this procedure that we've we've had this month, um, that can be the end of it. You've just had that working holiday in Queensland, as we mentioned, principally to ride one of your favourites, Holmesman, in three races. He was placed in two of them: the Lord Mayor's Cup and the new race, the Q Twenty Two. You and Jessica decided to head up there when the first hint of a Melbourne lockdown came to light. That's right. It was a Wednesday morning and we made a very late decision to um, get off my ride at Sandown and um, jump on a plane, which ended up being the, the best thing to do. We were very rushed, especially packing for ourselves in Oakley, and we went up there thinking maybe we'll be there for a few days and that obviously turned into a few weeks and um, we enjoyed our time. We stayed at Broad Beach and um, I travelled to Brisbane on the weekends and I felt that really worked well for us to to not only miss the lockdown in Melbourne but also um, relax and enjoy a little bit of time together and, mm. and have a bit of a holiday whilst we, we got a little bit of work done at the same time. You won a stakes race on Charlize, you had rides in the Derby and the Kingsford Smith, and you also had a ride or two for Tony Gollan. You must have been pleased with that. I was very happy with the support that I received from the local guys and obviously um, Kieran and Dave, who are big supporters of mine anyway, and um, I, f I felt that the result on winning that listed race and also a placing on in the Q22 on Homesman was mm. um, really beneficial to my stay there. Mm. Your partner, Jessica Payne, 
who is no relation to the famous Ballarat Pains, has enjoyed success as a jockey and was so highly regarded by Racing Victoria that she was selected to represent Australia in the pre-Longines Future Rising Stars series at Chantilly in Paris in 2014. I think she was the second Aussie to go on that trip. Yes, she was, and she still talks about it today. It was looking for her, looking back on her career, that was the biggest highlight and the best experience she had. And is a a quite a um, I guess unique category that you have to fit to be able to represent Australia or any country to that certain race in France. So mm. she was very lucky that she fitted that category and. Um, I'm not too sure what result she had in the race, but she uh, she did ride the favourite, so the the cameras and the attention were on her, and mm. she really enjoyed that. And I, I I do distinctively remember she'd give it a every chance to uh, to run really well, which mm. um, which you know added to the experience that she had. Jess was out of action for almost two years between 2011 and 2013 recovering from a badly broken femur. She wouldn't have dreamed during that period that she'd be riding overseas a year later. It's a funny old game, the racing game. It certainly is. And she, uh, you know, you go through your your, your worst time um, being out injured with a, a horrific injury like that to, um, you know, a year later being able to travel overseas and rep- represent Australia on such a big day it was um yeah it was quite remarkable how did you two meet we met in track work uh, when she made her return after her injury and we we developed a, a friendship which um developed into a relationship and nine years later we are we are getting married next year and mm. have an 11 month son named oakley now jess was getting very close to having oakley as the final few days of the 2019-2020 season approached. She actually went into hospital the day before you were scheduled to ride at Geelong and the Victorian Premiership was in the balance because you and Daniel Stackhouse were going right down to the wire. Was there ever a possibility you might have to miss that meeting? It was tooth and nail with Stacky at that stage. We were pretty much blowing win for win. And um, I, I remember going into Geelong about four or five wins in front and he had six really good rides and I had probably, I think, four mm. four rides for the meeting after scratchings with a couple of chances. And at that stage I was thinking, well, there's still a possibility here that, um, you know, it was one of them seasons where anything could happen. and. There was still that that um, small chance that Stacky was able to do a, a something special to pull it off, and I managed to to ride a winner early in the card, which helped settle the nerves. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, Oakley was was sort of threatening to come at the wrong time there, but lucky enough he held off. Um, it was a Friday, the last day of the season at, at that. <laughs> that particular year, and he he ended up coming um, late Saturday night. So mm. um, 
which ended up being the horse's birthday, the 1st of August, which yeah. is quite um, appropriate. Quite special, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Has Jessica ever remotely hinted that she might like to have another crack at race riding one day? At this stage, she hasn't particularly, um, you know, spoken about whether she will ride again or not. Um, obviously, at the moment, her main focus is and planning the wedding. Um, and then from there, she's possibly keen to, to maybe have another child. And mm. um, after that, we'll reassess what she wants to do. But um, for now, she's just happy being a mum and yeah. there's no pressure pressure for her to get back to racing at this stage. No, well, she's very young. There's plenty of time. What if she came to you in three or four years' time and said, Jai, I think I'll have another shot at this race riding caper. How would you handle that? Well, I'd, I'd ask her if she's... You know, she's 100% certain whether she wants to do that or not. But um, if she does, that's that's um, totally up to her or not. But there's there's definitely no pressure for her to be to be coming back if if that's what she feels. Mm. Now the wonderful fairy tale story of your Melbourne Cup win at 25 years of age. Your mentor Dean Lester had thrown your name into the ring when Lloyd Williams was starting to think about riders for his Melbourne Cup runners. Apparently he'd been showing promise as a rider of stayers through that season. Yeah, had a lot, lot of success over those longer distances and um, it was great to have Dean put my name forward, which was obviously a vital stage in me securing the ride on Twilight Payment mm. and... Um, you know, without that, things would have been different. Dean got you to ring Lloyd Williams personally, didn't he? Was that a bit intimidating? Certainly was. was um, well, Dean Dean rang me and he said, I've, I've spoken to Lloyd. Um, he's, he's concerned the riders from the international stage aren't going to be able to come with the way the virus was, mm. um, and which perfectly made sense. And um, he said, I think it would be a good idea if you gave him a call to show some interest. Mm-hmm. So he passed on Lloyd's number to me and it, uh, it was, it was I wouldn't really say intimidating, but it was a little bit nerve-wracking <laughs> building up the courage to ring yeah. someone like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm only a small country kid that's now on the, the big stage of, of Australian racing and mm-hmm. For me to be able to ring him, it took me a while to hit the call button, but um, <laughs> Lloyd is a, a, a real gentleman and really easy to talk to and um, I felt really good about myself once once I'd made that call. Mm. Getting closer to the race, you had a long phone conversation with Joseph O'Brien in Tipperary about likely tactics. How did it all work out? I did and... It was maybe uh, a week or so before the Cup that we had our first phone call. I'd ridden Twilight Payment in work out at Werribee and um, it was more a conversation about, um, you know, how I got a feel for him and just touching base and, and making contact. And then the day before the Cup, it was uh, the more intense phone call about the race and, uh-huh. and the likely tactics. And... Joseph was very happy for me to um, press forward. He said, 
if you can get to the front, that's great. You don't have to lead if if um, you don't have enough speed. And um, he said, in the likelihood that you do get to the front, um, I want you to try and get a rest just after the first turn and then really step the race up from uh, the 1,000 metre point. And um, he said, by the time you get to the 600, I just want you to keep increasing. And if you turn for home and you haven't fully gone for twilight payment and haven't pulled the whip, mm. he said he's going to take a lot of running down. Mm. And it's amazing how the race all worked out and how well Joseph knows his horses. Doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Coming around the turn, horses like Tiger Moth and Prince of Iran were spotting you six or seven lengths or maybe a little bit more. How strong did your bloke feel, say, at the 300 metres? Couldn't believe how well he was moving into the race. And at that stage, you know, even at the at the 500, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going really well here. Mm. But it's obviously a long run up Flemington Strait. And I'm, I'm also in, in the same mindset of, geez, I've, I've, you know, I've really stepped the tempo up a long way out. It's it's going to be a, a really hard performance for for twilight payment and um mm. yeah to answer your question he was he was giving me a, a great feel that he was going to be very competitive mm. and then maybe the the furlong or inside the furlong i really felt those horses starting to um embark on me and, and get really close and i thought well mm. i'm at i'm at the point where i've made such a long run that these guys are, are going to go straight past me and if you watch the replay, that's that's exactly when I pulled the whip over into the left hand to try and and change up what I was doing to get that little bit extra out of the horse. Mm. And um, I, I feel as though that really helped. He he really picked up, and I felt you know getting toward more toward the line that he was holding them off really well. So mm. um, it was a, a remarkable performance by Twilight Payment. And what a remarkable performance by the runner-up, Tiger Moth, at his fifth start in a race. It was amazing. Yeah, an impressive galloper and training performance also. It's it's um, it's remarkable how they can do what they can do with certain horses and even for the likes of Twilight Payment, he, he was first up into um, the Melbourne Cup off, off quite a long break. So, mm. um, yeah, it's quite amazing what they can do. Twilight Payment went around in the famous Ascot Gull Cup recently and I had visions of you sitting up uh, to the middle of the night to watch him go around. I'll bet you did. Funny enough, I did. I was um, I was recovering from that operation and, um, mm. I, you know, didn't have much to do and wasn't overly tired, so I sat up and, and watched the race. Um, unfortunately... He had a few issues and didn't perform too well in that race. But um, my first real um, time that I focused on Ascot, and it is hard because it's so late, but it's a a terrific spectacle. Mm. On the day at Flemington, were you disappointed there was no one there to share the moment with you? Flemington's a big place and it's even bigger when it's empty. In a way, I was. because you just miss that atmosphere that the crowd creates. But in the same token, I, f- I feel like um, 
we were getting used to it by that stage. The virus had been around for, and we're racing without crowds and owners for yeah. up to nearly eight months at that stage. And I, I felt that it was becoming the new normal. And um, now that I look back on it, it's probably going to be the only Melbourne Cup that's been run without a crowd in however many years. And mm. I think that alone also with the way that Twilight Payment won in terms of leading is going to be something that could potentially come up in trivia and, and be remembered forever. So yeah, um, I think there's negatives, but at the same time there's positives. And mm. I was just um, overwhelmed and privileged to be given the opportunity in a, in a race like that. You grew up on your parents' farm at a little place called Coondrook on the Murray. And Coondrook is actually in Victoria, but the little town directly across the river, Baram, is in New South Wales. The only thing that separates them is the Murray River. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I grew up, I played all my sport. Um, I went to primary school in Coondrook mm. and um, had a lot of mates in the area. So it's a fantastic place to grow up. Mum and Dad's farm follows the Murray mm. uh, and uh, it's about – 800 acres in size, which is um, which is quite large for a dairy farm, and there was no better way to grow up riding motorbikes and um, driving tractors and and mucking around with brothers and cousins and mm. all those things. It was a, a really good way to grow up. You were the eldest of three boys. Your middle brother is Sam, who's in the building trade, and your younger brother Logan is an apprentice jockey. And you'd have to say he's an emerging talent guy. He's really starting to look the part. You're pretty proud of him. Yeah, he's he's really um, starting to gain some momentum and ride really well and look good as well, which is fantastic. He's an apprentice to Gerald Egan, and that's where I did my apprenticeship as well. So mm. um, hopefully he's, he's taking the right steps to put himself in the best position to succeed in in his career and um yeah it's 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 um it's fantastic i think you know he never really showed a lot of um interest in racing until um started to succeed in my career so um hopefully we we influenced him a little bit to go down that path your dad daryl and mother michelle always had more than a passing interest in racing and your dad actually had a trainer's licence when you were growing up. He had a couple of handy horses way back. He certainly did. Um, he inherited that off his father and uncle who had the trainer's licence originally. And, um, yeah, they had a couple of good horses, which, um, you know, a couple of winners at Flemington and stuff like that, which is pretty cool for them. And um, obviously dad growing up, he showed interest in the horses and then, as time developed, he ended up taking that over and, and getting the licence himself. And um, from there, me as a kid, that's how I, I grew interest in horses and horse racing. And um, he he also does his riding of, of his own horses. So mm. once I was able to get a pony, I, I did a lot of riding with Dad and that's how I learned before I, I um, took the next step in heading over to Gerald's. Mm. About five years ago, 
You won a race at Bendigo for your dad on a horse called Last Stand. And you can see where he got that name. He was by a stallion called Bushranger. Doesn't get much better than riding a winner for dad, does it? Yeah, the name was well thought out, that's for sure. And mm. uh, it was it was great to, to ride a winner for, for dad at Bendigo. And, um, you know, the mum and the family were there, which, you know, that's what it's all about. And um, I, I don't, unfortunately, he hasn't had many runners since, but um, hopefully we can do it again one day. When the time was right for you to look for an apprenticeship, you certainly fell on your feet because you got to start with a wonderful horseman in Gerald Egan up in the high country at Mansfield. Now, here is a true horseman, Jai, a rider, a breaker, a movie stuntman. You tell me there's nothing that man can't do with a horse. Got a special bond with horses and um, can do a lot of things that um, you couldn't imagine with with horses. And um, for me... uh, when, when I really started to show interest in being an apprentice jockey, um, Dad asked Alan Trevino, who used to do all the riding for him once upon a time, um, where, he, where I should be going to get the best education. And he mentioned Gerald, and at the time, Gerald didn't have any apprentices and wasn't really interested in taking on any other apprentices. It was an area that he was... He had done a fair bit of and was looking to sort of um, take a backward step and and maybe not have any more apprentices. And fortunately enough, he ended up agreeing to, that um, I could come over in the holidays and then progression, you know, saw me becoming an apprentice to him. And mm. um, he's had a few since me as well, which, which has been good. And, um, yeah, a, a lot of thanks goes to to Al because without him, well, I don't think uh, I would have ended up at Gerald's and don't know where I would have ended up, but mm. those are the small things that um, make a big difference in someone's career. Mm. Several other very good jockeys have come through the Gerald Egan Academy. Who are some of them? Uh, Nick Hall, Luke Nolan, um, obviously Billy Egan as well. He, he, he came through there. Um, there's been some really, really great jockeys that have, Done their education with Gerald and, and Lock- um, Lachlan King's I'm another one. That, yes, Lockie King's another one, and um, mm. I'm hope- hopeful that my name might feature amongst them at some stage. <laughs> You've won a Melbourne Cup, mate. That's a good start. Now you mentioned Billy Egan. Uh, he's related to Gerald, isn't he? Yes. Um, so it's he's Gerald's brother's son. Right. Now, Jai, I'll get you to stand by there for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast back in just a moment. It came as no surprise when English Managing Director Mark Webster announced that South Australian GTRA would fill the company's slot in the Everest at Randwick on October the 16th. GTRA ran in the English slot last year, coming from well back to finish a strong third to Classic Legend. The horse stayed in Sydney and two weeks later won the $1 million Yes, Yes, Yes stakes 
at Rosehill Gardens, not long after he presented with a knee problem which required surgery for the removal of a bone chip and then a long spell. On resuming, G. Trier ran third in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap and was then taken to Brisbane where he was unplaced in the Kingsford Smith Cup, only 2.8 lengths from the winner after a wide run and a pretty hefty check in the straight. Fittingly, he was purchased by trainer Gordon Richards at the 2017 English Premier Sale for just $41,000. He's taken his large ownership syndicate on a fantastic journey with 10 wins and 12 placings for more than $3.2 million. Inglis and Gitra get together for the second time in the world's richest race on turf, the fifth running of the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick on October the 16th. Well, you didn't ride a winner at your very first day at the races at Swan Hill, but you must have been going okay because you had four or five rides on that very first day. Too many, looking back on it, John. I I, uh, I don't remember much from the day. It all happened very fast and um, I was way too busy. I think now they've actually brought in a rule that you can't have any more than three, which is, mm. which is fantastic because... I I didn't really get to enjoy my first day. It was just chaotic, and um, I I managed to be able to um, ride a winner. I think about maybe thirty odd races after mm. I'd kicked off my career. Yep, and that happened at the at a place called Kerrang, which is really close to Kundruk. Yeah, and um, it was it was fantastic because. I had all the family and all my school friends there, and mm. um, I don't think there was a better way to, to uh, debut in the winner's stall. Mm, you rode an old horse called Demars for a gunbower trainer, Jim Lake. Demars must have been one of those marvellous old geldings, Jai, who taught the kids to ride. He had 107 race starts, and looking at his record, he was ridden many times by apprentices. Yeah, I think maybe even three or four different um, apprentices got really good education out of Demars, and he was just a gentleman mm. to ride. He, was he? He, uh, mm. he he just knew his job. He knew what he had to do, and that made it really easy for the rider, and it helped with the education of you know um, positioning in running and um, being able to get the education and get the experience in taking runs and and all those things that you know can be difficult at times mm. he made really easy and um i i built up a really good relationship and bond with the mars and ended up winning close to half a dozen races on him which mm. um which was great jim lake who was the trainer was a really good family friend of ours and um yeah that that'd be some memories that I look back on as as um, a really good time in the saddle. You rode your first city winner about eight years ago on the Sandown Hillside track. It was a benchmark 82, and the horse had an intriguing name, Jai. He was trained by Matt Williams at Warrnambool, and his name was Lucky I'm Barefoot. And you tell me there is a bizarre explanation for that name. There is. My understanding is that. Um, as a young horse, he lashed out and um, made contact with a, 
I, th- I think it might have been one of the owners or maybe the breeder's son, mm. um, and it got it caught him in the head. Mm. And at the time, he didn't have shoes on, um, so they they made the decision to call him Lucky on barefoot because if he had to have mm. shoes on, um, their son's result of that kick might might have been different. And um, mm. yeah, there's a, a little bit of a story behind the name and. On the day, I obviously didn't know that story, but um, mm. it was an old. It was a a, a um, winter's day at Sandown, and um, it would have been uh, my second or third trip to the city to ride. And um, yeah, it was it was a very special day to ride my first city win for Matthew Williams and Australian thoroughbred bloodstock, and um, mm. they were were great people that I ended up getting a, a good relationship with and, and great supporters through my apprenticeship and into my early senior senior years. As time went by, several prominent stables started to put you on and you had great support from Darren Weir. Even after your claim dried up, he was still putting you on. He was a great supporter of mine and uh, uh, that came about through um, riding for him in the city with my claim. Mm. And over time we developed a, a relationship with him and the owners and um, the success we had and uh, obviously started doing a, a fair bit of work and travelling down to Ballarat and doing jump outs and things like that mm. for him. And um, that put me in a good position to keep riding for him once I become a senior. And, um, yeah, I, I rode for him uh, all the way up until his incident he had a few years ago. Mm. You seem to have had ongoing opportunities from the Ma Eustace camp. That applies to this day. That all took place once Darren Weir sort of exited from the scene and um, uh, I had a bit of a restructure with my management and um, Reese Murphy, who is still my manager now, uh, he sort of helped um, me get in the door with Kieran and Dave, and um, yeah, I'm very thankful for the for the help that he gave me, but also for the support that that Kieran and Dave have also given me over the last couple of years. Mm. Anthony and Sam Friedman often uh, utilise your services. I've been writing for them um, for quite a while. Also, uh, they've been great supporters of mine. That that would have that would stem back to when I was an apprentice also and they've just been great supporters all the way through and mm. um, some it's an area that I also do work with as well, um, mm. head down to Mornington and they've also got a base at Flemington that um, have jump outs there most Fridays and, mm. yeah, it's, it's a great team environment to be in. Many of the smaller trainers are McNeil fans, none more so than Shay Eden. I lived in Cranbourne for a few years. Um, Jess moved to Cranbourne and I followed her there and um, she was apprenticed to Greg Urell and I had a really good relationship with Robbie Griffiths. So we both started writing work at Cranbourne and naturally that's how I developed outside relationships with trainers from Cranbourne mm. and um, Shay has been uh, a good supporter of mine ever since and he's got a small team but... Um, I feel that as though he has 
quality over quantity and um, it's great to be able to, to pair up with him uh, and we've had, had really good success over the over a, a, the space of probably two or three years. Mm. You had several rides on Kings Will Dream, who was retired only recently, for one significant win, the 2019 Turnbull Stakes. It was your first Group 1. It was my first time riding him also at that at that point, and um, mm. he drew... A really good barrier. We had barrier one, and we lobbed into a fantastic position. There was good speed on. Uh, Finch to me looked the horse. who was also the stable mate, and uh, I guess the first time that it really felt as though I was going to win or be competitive was when we turned for home, and I was able to edge Finch out of the way to get clear running. I thought, well, we've had a really soft run. We've had every chance um, with luck and and positioning in the straight, and I thought this this horse has had every chance to win. And um, thankfully, he was able to stick the head out and and get into a battle with Finch to to claim the race. And mm. at that stage, it was it was the best um, I guess moment I'd I'd had in racing, being able to win the first Group One. Mm. Well, Twilight Payment, of course, was your second Group One. And your third was the recent Australian Cup on Holmesman. But of all the nice horses you've ridden, you seem to have special affection for a stayer called Persan from the Ma Eustace Yard. You've ridden him nine times all up for five wins and four placings. And you were telling me he's a push-button ride. Yeah, he is. He's he's a fantastic horse to ride and... Um, a real gentleman. He's he's uh, he's just a fantastic horse to, to be associated with. He makes your life easy. Puts himself on speed. He's a fantastic stayer, and I, I feel as though outside of Twilight Payment winning the Melbourne Cup, um, it was a great effort from Kieran and Dave to get uh, Persan to that race. It was all done in the one prep. He went from Maiden to Melbourne Cup and um, I think that was a pretty good effort and one that's probably never been done before. Mm. Who rode him in the Melbourne Cup? Michael Bearden rode him very well and mm. um, I, I quali- qualified him for the race and mm. at the time I was I was thinking, well, you know, should I be on him? He's got a light weight. Um, I've had so much success on him but mm. I, I was in no position to be able to um, th- think that I could jump from ride to ride. I, I was committed to Twilight Payment and mm. um, thankfully that worked out well. But, um, yeah, it was a, a, it was a great run in the, in the Melbourne Cup by person. Yeah, well, he ran fifth officially. He was beaten only 2.4 lengths and I imagine uh, they'll have him on track for this year's Cup. I believe he, do, he does have to qualify again maybe. Um, mm. But I, I dare say he'll be... Um, on the on path to um, to be aimed at the Melbourne Cup again this year, and mm. there's no reason why he can't do it. Uh, you know, he's had a nice spell and um, he's come back really well. And um, yeah, you'd be hopeful that they could get him back to to mm. this year's Cup. He had the breeding buffs scratching their heads when he ran a strong two miles. Jai, he's by a Golden Slipper winner in Piero, 
and he's out of a mare called Of Course I Can, whose Group 1 win, uh, the Coolmore Classic, was at 1,500 metres. And here is this bloke running two miles strongly. So, uh, things can work sometimes. There's just no rule to it. But um, there's definitely no um, no problems with the way that he can stay. I think he proved that in the Melbourne Cup. And, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable how things can work out sometimes. You're a pretty tall jockey at 174 centimetres, which is over five feet eight in the old. But you sometimes ride at a freakishly light weight. You rode Chapada at 50.5 in a Caulfield Cup. You rode Grand Slam at 49.5 in a Cox Plate. And you rode Odium at 49 in the Empire Rose Stakes. You obviously had plenty of notice about those three rides. It did. It didn't really make it uh, any easier than it was. It's obviously, I'm naturally light anyway, and there's not too many guys my size that would be able to do that weight. But um, I found riding 50 and a half very easy on Chapada in the Caulfield Cup. I uh, I felt really good when I did it, and um I was with a personal trainer and did a lot of boxing and I I tried to benefit from losing the weight and gaining a fitness edge at the same time, which worked really well for me. And mm. I did the same routine to do 49 and a half on Grand Slam in the Cox Plate a week later. Mm. And that was a little bit harder and then obviously had to back that up again with Odium in the mile mares race uh, on on Derby Day, mm. and I feel as though each time it did get harder. And if I had my time again, I would um, I would do things a little bit differently. Mm. Um, and I should get my time again this year. Uh, but I probably yeah I probably feel as though because it's such a light weight, I wouldn't do it three weeks in a row. I'd, I'd pick and choose when the right time is to do it. Mm. Um, but really trying to capitalise on being able to ride light. It's a great asset for me and and um, hopefully that can take me places in the industry like it has for someone like Glenn Boss. Mm. You tell me you hate the sauna. Whenever you use it, you always finish up feeling ill and that's the reason you've gone to this boxing regime which you find to be working really well. Yeah, I... F- Sit in the sauna, I, I feel it's really hard for me to sit there and there's nothing you can do apart from watch time tick over. Um, and then when you get out, I, I, I tend to feel really lightheaded and um, a little bit zapped, lethargic. And um, to me, that doesn't, doesn't put me in the, the best mindset for race day. Whereas when I'm doing it with boxing and um, I have the sweat gear on and I'm training and concentrating on pads and placement and um, I, I tend to have a distraction away from losing the weight and um, I can do up to 1.8 kilos in an hour session um, with boxing so and feel really good afterwards or well, not not really good, but I, I can re- I can feel really strong and, and at my best after a session like that. Mm. You're one of very few jockeys to use a professional mentor. 
You mentioned earlier that Rhys Murphy handles your writing engagements, but Dean Lester is the man you consult whenever a problem arises on a professional or a personal level. Yeah, we have a great relationship, Dean and I. We've been working very closely for a number of years now and um, developed a, a friendship, which is very, very cool. And, um, yeah, he's someone that I, I can really trust and, and lean on to for any kind of questions that I have. And um, he also fills me with great confidence for each and every race that I head out to ride in. And I think that's a, a vital thing to have because uh, it can take you so far in races. And um, I also get speed maps from Dean. And um, that's something that I've, I've really gotten used to in um, my preparation for riding and something that works really well for me. Mm. He's a great judge and he's had vast experience in all aspects of racing. Yes, he's got a very good reputation in racing um, for what he does in the person who he is and um, I'm very fortunate to have that relationship and that um, working relationship with him. You've already been to the top of the mountain, Jai. You've won a Melbourne Cup at age 25. That can only inspire you to win another one. Yeah, it's exceeded um, all of my expectations and dreams of that I've set out um, at the beginning of my, of my career. To have won a Melbourne is very inspirational for myself and very motivational now. And um, now that I know how prestigious and how great it feels to to win a Melbourne Cup, it's very inspiring to, to be able to do it again. Well, you're still a few weeks away from a return to race riding, but uh, your army of fans in Victoria are certainly looking forward to it, particularly with the spring carnival looming. Jai, it's been a delight to have you on the podcast. Give my very best to Jessica and uh, little Oakley, and I really appreciate your time on a Sunday morning. I will do that for you, John, and thanks very much for having me on. It's been great to have a chat, and uh, I look forward to not only um, listening back on this podcast, but uh, all the other ones that you put together in the future. Thanks very much. Our special guest today was Jai McNeil on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. 